The 2023-24 college basketball season is underway. And if there's one thing we've learned after the first two nights of basketball, it's this. The gap between the low and mid-majors and the high majors continues to shrink. Case in point, James Madison going into the Breslin Center and upsetting mighty Michigan State, the number four team in the country. How about St. Peter's? They led Seton Hall for nearly 30 minutes before Seton Hall pulled it out after they went back and forth. Seton Hall pulled it out in the final seven minutes. And Princeton upended Rutgers as if to say, hey, we went to the Sweet 16 last year. We're still good. We beat Arizona. We beat Missouri. Rutgers? Yeah, we are good. It's one game. I get it. But Princeton looks very much like an NCAA tournament team once again. A lot can happen from here to March, ladies and gentlemen. But college basketball has arrived. It's great to start the season. So glad you've chosen to listen to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinavellis. Hey, we're sponsored. The North Jersey Vipers, the longest-running club softball program in Bergen County and one of the premier programs in all of New Jersey, they're now in their 14th season. So if you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play high-level softball for an elite club team, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Speaking of high level, let's begin in Trenton, where Princeton picked up right where they left off last March, beating a high major. But can I, can I just get this off my chest before we talk about the game? If we have this game again, and boy, do I really want this game, uh, I'd love to see more of all of these teams in New Jersey, the Seton Halls, the FDUs, the Riders, the St. Peters, the Princetons, the Rutgers, all of them somehow play each other. Maybe it doesn't happen in one year, but maybe it happens over two seasons. But let's put them in home venues. I mean... With all due respect to Trenton, this stadium, this arena, at once, you know, 20 years ago was pretty good. But it could not hold this event. I mean, the game tipped off at 7, and there were still hundreds of cars outside with a good 1,500 to 2,000 people who were trying to find traffic, who were trying to fight traffic, and find a parking spot because all of the parking lots were closed. And then as the parking lots were closed, you're in the parking lot and you're trying to get out of the parking lot. No good. All right. What happened was they were in a situation where they couldn't handle all the traffic. And it's just unfair to play a game like this, of this level, of this magnitude, and have parking issues. Are you kidding me? And I'm not even talking about the inside of the room. The inside was fine, okay? I mean, it's a little dark in there for my tasting. Uh, but a game like Rutgers and Princeton deserves to be on campus. The atmosphere would have been even better. Okay, so that's just something that I wanted to get off my chest. But I'm really hoping, and I know the coaches are, are saying all the right things, and that they would like to keep 
these rivalries, these New Jersey games going in some capacity. But that's what they're saying. Let's be honest, okay? If you're Steve Peichel and Rutgers hadn't played Princeton in 10 years, after what happened in this game, ask yourself, do I want to play Rutgers? I mean, do I want to play Princeton again next year? Look, I wouldn't blame Steve Peichel if it's another 20 years before they play again. As a fan, sure I want it. As a coach, hmm. Let's talk about Princeton, all right? And then we'll break it down and go into Rutgers. Princeton did what they wanted to do when they needed to do it, all right? They ran beautiful sets. They ran crisp sets. They looked like a veteran team. They looked like a team that was prepared for this game and prepared for Rutgers or more prepared than Rutgers was for them. And that's not saying Steve Peichel isn't a, a good coach, but for some reason, and I have my theories mostly because Princeton had their key players back with, you know, okay. They didn't have Tosana Woma. I get it. The Ivy league really, in my opinion, the best player in the Ivy league last year. All right, but they had Matalaco. They had Zach Martini. They had Caden Pierce. Three key starters and players for that Sweet 16 team. And did you see what they did? Alaco, 21 and nine. I mean, he's looking like the early favorite. I get it, it's one game. But he is in the Ivy League Player of the Year discussion. And Caden Pierce. Is there a better rebounder for his size in all of college basketball than Caden Pierce? I mean, the dude grabbed 15 rebounds. He's six foot six. He's going up against Cliff Amori. He's going to go up against Antoine Wolfolk. 6'11, 6'9, 6'10. And he's grabbing 15 rebounds. That's will, that's desire, that's knowing angles and trajectory and anticipating where the ball's going to go, all right? That's a guy who wants it, who wants rebounds, who goes after everyone like his life depends on it. That's the guy I want on my team, all right? So Princeton did what they needed to do and it seemed like Rutgers couldn't stop them. They look like the bigger team. They look like the stronger, more physical team. I mean, these are men. These guys are hitting the weight room. Look at Princeton. And, and the muscles are there, all right? And they're big. They're 6'4", 6'5". They're not 6'2", 6'1". They bullied Rutgers in a lot of way. Now, Listen, Rutgers didn't help themselves by missing 14 layups. They got to the rim. They got shots they wanted. They didn't fall. So the talent's there for Rutgers, but I just think in this night, in this matchup, in this one-game situation, Princeton seemed like the better prepared team, the bigger team, the more physical team, and the team that executed better. And let's give Xavier and Lee. It's not like, it's not like, Xavier Lee was, you know, this fifth-year senior. He was starting his first collegiate game as a sophomore. 
scored 16 points. He had a ton of big buckets in that game, especially in the second half when Rutgers was making a run and he's darting through the Rutgers defense right through the lane and nobody picked him up. I mean, he was playing fast. He was playing downhill. He looked good. And also, he was playing some high-level basketball over the summer. He played for Team Canada in the U19 FIBA World Championships. So he was getting experience. All right? It just seemed it seemed like this was a bad matchup for Rutgers. First game out of the gate. Who knows? If they were to play each other in another month, maybe the score would be different. All right? But for this one night, Princeton was head and shoulders above Rutgers. And I asked Mitch Henderson after the game about his team's will and how they imposed it on Rutgers. This has been years in the making. Uh, it's very much of a carryover from a year ago. And um, the guys, we have some standards and they, they meet those daily. And we're very strict with some of those standards and what they are. And, and then we have terrific players. Um, and, you know, Cade had 16 rebounds. Um, you know, he's given, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm looking him eye to eye, you know, when I'm standing next to him. He's just, he just plays well above his height. So, um, and, the, and that's, that's it. I think we have really, really good players. Yeah. Poise, veterans, leaders. Rutgers made runs. It seemed like Princeton established control of this game early on. They jumped out to the 12-4 lead. Rutgers called timeout. Princeton then let the bench for Rutgers get Rutgers back in the game. It was guys like Woolfolk who were triggering things for Rutgers. It was guys like Oscar Palmquist hitting threes. It was Woolfolk and Palmquist that got them back in the game. And then in the second half, with about 10 minutes to go, Rutgers rallied back, ties the game at 45. Princeton sees the crowd getting into the game. It got loud. The Rutgers fans had something to cheer about for the first time in the game. And Zach Martini, a senior, got the ball on the wing, was open, saw daylight, swish, put his finger to his mouth to hush the crowd. He backed it up. That was the start of a 12-2 Princeton run. Martini hit a couple of threes, Alaco with a couple of layups, and suddenly Princeton is back in control. And when Rutgers made another run and cut it to two with under five minutes to play, Xavier Lee had the answer. Rutgers never threatened again. Henderson again made it a point to praise his veterans, his leaders, for making plays when it mattered. It felt like we had really good, like, kind of poise. Um, and that, I think that that's first a carryover from the seniors that we have here sitting next to me and the way that they've prepared themselves and their teammates. Um, and we also, these guys have played in a lot of really big games where we've been able to make adjustments in games and sort of work that into what we're doing. And I thought that made it. A big difference. We also didn't turn the ball over in the second half. A lot of positives. 
Now, can Princeton follow this up? Their next game is against Hofstra. That's intriguing because Hofstra has beaten Princeton the last two years. They've been a thorn in Princeton's side. Hofstra is not Rutgers, okay? I know they beat him last year in the NIT. They don't have Aaron Estrada anymore. He's down in Alabama. Did you see what Estrada did? 16 points in his debut for Alabama. All right? He's getting it done and proving he's more than a mid-major player. Tyler Thomas, this is his team for Hofstra. He had 26 points in their opening win. Ken Princeton follow up a big win, hold their emotions in check, and beat Hofstra. That's not going to be easy. Now, if you're Rutgers, here's how you're looking at things. You've already moved past this game. It's only one game. There are a lot of games on the schedule. And at the end of the day, if Rutgers beats Seton Hall and beats Wake Forest and takes care of Boston University in their next game and goes 9-2 and two in their non-conference schedule, then this loss doesn't hurt them. However, what if they lose to Seton Hall? What if they lose to Wake Forest or Mississippi State? Then these losses sting more. So you lost the game. You shouldn't have lost on paper. Now you have to go out and win a game that you're not supposed to win. Go to Seton Hall where you're going to be an underdog and win that game. Go to Wake Forest where you're likely going to be an underdog and win that game, okay? That's the way you have to look at it. That one's over. Let's win the next one. But I'm going to wave the white flag here, okay? Because this team misses the leadership of Paul Mulcahy, misses the leadership of Caleb McConnell, misses the leadership of Cam Spencer. Those were the guys last year that had the balls in their hands and had the wherewithal to take the big shot, to make the defensive stand, to do the little things. A lot of that was non-existent. No matter how much talent you have, no matter how much you want to play up tempo, sometimes the other team, in this case Princeton, has a lot to do with what you're not able to do. And when your guards are undersized, compared to Princeton's, you have to find a way to get past them, get to the rim, pull up jumpers, use your speed, and finish. Derek Simpson and Fernandez used their speed. They had good looks. They didn't knock down their shots. And in the end, Simpson found himself on the bench in crunch time. Instead, Michael went with a freshman, Jamichael Davis, in crunch time. So what does that tell you? Derek Simpson was good enough to win games for Rutgers in March as a freshman, but he wasn't good enough on this night to be on the court in crunch time against Princeton as a sophomore. He had a bad night. He'll have many good nights. He'll learn from it. He didn't score his first bucket until there were six seconds left. Noah Fernandez tried. He tried to impose his will on this game, but I think in the end, his shots weren't falling. I saw at times he tried to, he tried to bring his team back, 
either you make your shots and you don't, he didn't. So in the end, Rutgers guards got outplayed, outscored, outmuscled. They're going to learn from it and they're going to grow from it. There are some growing pains, okay? Uh, this team, without question, right now misses those players, but they have to find a way. Who are the new leaders? Cliff Amore's the best player. I don't know if he's the right leader for this team. Maybe it's Mawat Mag, but he's on the bench and not on the court. He may be a month away. So who are the leaders going to be until that? Is it Andre Hyatt? Is it, is it Derek Simpson? Is it Fernandez? I don't know. Somebody needs to do it. All right. Cliff Amore was passing out of the double team. He was recognizing when Princeton was doubling down on him. There were times he was finding the open man. They were missing shots. Rutgers needs to finish. They missed 14 layups, missed two dunks. And after the game, Steve Peichel, he's always a stand-up guy. I love him. He offered no excuses after the game, said it's on him to get his team better prepared. I knew this is, would be a real difficult opener for us. Um, have no tape of them. You know, whenever you go into a game like this, you like to be prepared. You know, tried to do the best you can off of last year's tapes. They changed up a lot of stuff, the screen coverage. I got to give Princeton a ton of credit. They did an unbelievable job, well coached. They're a sweet 16 team. Um, and it's on me to have our guys more ready. It was 12-4 out the gate. Can't start off a game like that. Do like our teams fight, we fought back. They did a good job of offensive rebounding. You know, they kind of space you out. If you really know basketball, they take threes or layups. They space you out and they take threes, so it's long rebounds that come off the rim. Um, and they can track them. You can always track a three when you shoot it. And our guys didn't do a great job of putting bodies on bodies. Um, and then obviously, you know, us not finishing around the basket hurt our, you know, defense too tremendously. So, um, you know, we got out rebound teams like that. We got to make sure, and it's, a sh you know, less possessions in a game like that. They were running a lot of clock on all their possessions. We're trying to get up and down a little bit. So um, I think you can learn a lot. And I like, you know, I got my young guys some minutes. I got some other guys in the lineup. Um, and it's a tough game. It's a tough game for young guys because it's just a lot of different actions. Um, but better days ahead for us. So what positives were there? I love the play of Antoine Wolfolk. He was active. He was around the rim. He was making things happen. He brought energy. He brought attitude. He brought toughness. Had 10 points. Uh, fell in the second half and hurt his back. I don't know how much it affected him. It wasn't He wasn't the same after that. Uh, loved what I saw out of Oscar Palmquist. Uh, he was the only Rutgers player who was able to hit more than one three uh, on the game. Gavin Griffiths missed both of his attempts. They were good looks. His first game, he's going to be fine. Only played 13 minutes. I think with Gavin Griffiths, there are going to be games where he dazzles, where he scores 16, 18 points. And then there are going to be games like this where he may only have four points. All right. He's not going to be able to do it night in and night out. There's going to be some ups and downs, but there will be more ups than downs for Gavin Griffiths. Uh, Jamichael Davis played a lot, probably more than Steve Peichel would have liked. Was only two for 10. So 
you know, he's got to do a better job of, of getting his shots to fall. But Steve Peichel likes him enough where he put him there in crunch time. So you know he's going to be in the rotation and be a very valuable part of this team. So now Rutgers has three games in like a span of six days. Beat BU on Friday, beat Bryant on Sunday, and get ready for Georgetown. That's what it's going to be for Rutgers. Let's see if they can win their next two and then take care of Georgetown in their building. So Rutgers, can they regroup? Princeton, can they follow it up? Will this game be played again next year or in the future? You heard what I had to say. Here's what the coaches had to say about the future of this game. I'm just so appreciative that Rutgers would play us and that it is good for the game. And especially in this state where we feel we've made Jersey a huge priority in recruiting and so have they. And I just I'd like to see more of it. Would you like to see this move to campus Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, yeah, I'm going back, I mean, I, we played at the rack in 97. It was unbelievable. And I think it would be, you know, Chadwin would be the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've tried to play. I think we've played every team in the state of New Jersey and tried to do a good job since I've been there. We played FDU. We played Ryder. We played St. We're going to play St. Pete's coming up here. You know, we, we've played, obviously, Seton Hall. So we have played everyone except I think Monmouth is the only team that we haven't played, and, you know, like to play them too at some point in time. All right. Each coach says they want it. We'll see what happens. Time now to go around the tri-state. A lot to talk about. Let's begin with the national champs in UConn. They thumped Northern Arizona by 40 points. Look, last year's team was about Hawkins, Jackson, and Sonogo, the big three. Alex Caravan was a, a yeoman's supporting actor, all right? He was a very good player as kind of like the third leading scorer on that team, but, you know, clearly picked his spots. With all of those players gone, in my opinion, this is Alex Caravan's team. He is the leader. He is the guy. Okay, that's not to take anything away from Stefan Castle. That's not to take anything away from Donovan Klingen, who is getting, you know, all types of praise. But in terms of the role of the leader, look, it's Caravan, okay? Klingon and Castle, I mentioned them because they could be lottery picks. This is Caravan's team. All he did was go out and score career-high 22 points in his first game without Hawkins and Sonogo and Jackson. That is a sign of things to come. He is option number one. Now, we knew UConn had a two-headed monster last year with Klingon and Sonogo, but rarely were they on the court together. How about the two-headed monster this year? A healthy Samson Johnson and a better, more polished, stronger Donovan Klingon. All right, those two are scary. The, the prowess and the physical nature 
of Donovan Klingon, the skill set is through the roof, but the athleticism of Samson Johnson is on like, you know, Charlie Villanueva level. All right. He is just an athlete who is just going to get open, get lobs, run the floor, finish. If he's healthy, look out. Klingon, Johnson, and the guy who loves it all is Cam Spencer. I mean, he is the perfect fit for this team. Think about the elevation and the evolution of Cam Spencer as a college basketball player. Two years ago, he led Loyola and led their conference in scoring at 18 points a game. He goes to Rutgers in the Big Ten with veteran players, leads the team in scoring there. Now, his average went from 18 to 13, but still, he led Rutgers in scoring, hit two game winners to beat Northwestern and Purdue, felt like he was the man in crunch time, and now he takes that role as go-to leader, leaves Rutgers, and goes to UConn, where, let's face it, he's not going to lead them in scoring. He's not the first option, second option, third option. I mean, heck, he might end up being the fourth or fifth leading scorer on this team. And you know what? He's fine with it. And he's good at it. I mean, he's throwing alley-oops. He's getting guys involved. He's a facilitator as much as he is a three-point shooter. Uh, he, he is just dynamite. He's a guy who is a veteran, is not afraid to put his ego aside, and does what's best for the team. He just morphs into whatever that coach needs for that team. You can't say that about a lot of players. All right, Stefan Castle, uh, I wanted to just talk about him. Made his debut, top 10 consensus recruit in the country, projected lottery pick. He will dazzle. Played 19 minutes, had 12 points. There are some games where you're going to be like, oh, my God. All right? There were moments on the floor where he did that. But listen, UConn has the depth. They have the talent. They're only going to get better as the season goes on. Even Jalen Stewart. All right? If you don't know the name, he was a top 70 recruit. He's going to be a very good role player for this team. All right? Not going to be a starter. But Jalen Stewart is going to contribute as well. So, I can't wait to see UConn when they go up against Kansas. Uh, they're going to go up against Indiana next. All right. And then Gonzaga, North Carolina. Uh, it, it's going to be really fun to watch them in the preseason, see how they evolve. All right. Let's talk about Seton Hall. How bad would it have been for Shaheen Holloway if St. Peter's, his former team, had come into his building and beaten him? Tell you what. St. Peter's was seven minutes, eight minutes from making that a reality because for the first 30, 33 minutes, St. Peter's imposed their will. They were the team that were hungrier. They were the team that were more athletic, more assertive. All right. But it took finally Seton Hall fans. You can exhale. 
thanks to Alamir Dawes hitting three threes in a span of like three minutes, like only Al Dawes can do. All right. You're waiting. Uh, St. Peter's is winning at the 10 minute mark. They're winning at the eight minute mark. And you're like, are we going to lose this game? Like, is this going to happen? Can someone step up and make a play, make a shot? Is this going to happen? And then Dylan Dayawusu, the spark plug for Seton Hall. Shaheen Holloway said afterward, he's our energy guy. He helped spark the run. Dre Davis hit a big three. Wusu getting steals, hitting free throws. Dawes hitting threes. Richmond, what a game Kadari Richmond had. I'll get to him in a second. It was the Seton Hall veterans that woke up and made plays and pulled victory from the jaws of defeat. If you haven't seen it by now, and I'm sure you have, Kaderi Richmond's numbers were freakish. And get used to it, Seton Hall fans. If he's healthy this year, it's going to be a norm. 18 points, six rebounds, seven assists, and six steals. I said in my previous podcast, Kadari Richmond would be the leading rebounder on this team, leading scorer, and leading assist man. You can throw leading steals person in there as well. All right, I'm going to go on the record again as saying his average for the season will be 15 and a half points, five and a half to six assists a game, five and a half to six rebounds a game, and two steals a game. So let's just round them up. 15, six, six, and two. Somewhere in those averages. And if he does that, he'll be second team all Big East. Heck, he could put his 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 name up there for first team. I'm not getting carried away, but you know, he'll be one of the top 10 players in the Big East. He's got to stay healthy. It's a different Kadari Richmond. This is the Kadari Richmond that Seton Hall fans were hoping would be consistent last year. It's going to come this year. The cause for concern for Seton Hall is they have four players, four they can count on, four players that are going to average in double figures. Where is the other production going to come from? Somebody, Sanders, Coleman, Tubek, Somebody needs to step up and be another person, another option off the bench. The centers, Bediaco and Hutchins Everett, it's a work in progress. They are not Big East caliber centers, but they have to play like it. Can Shaheen get them there? Can they average between the two, 12 points and eight rebounds? Can two centers average 12 points and eight rebounds? I think that's the ceiling. It might be more like 10 and six. I don't know if that's good enough. Can they average 12 and eight? That's the goal. And that's not asking for a lot, but it might be asking for a lot from those two. We'll see. Fairly Dickinson, congratulations to Jack Castleberry. 
How about the win going into Buffalo and beating Buffalo on the road, 92 to 86. That is a big time win for the Knights. They lose their coach. They go to the NCAA tournament and pull off one of the biggest upsets in my mind, for my money, the biggest upset in NCAA tournament history. Castleberry takes over the program. Tobin goes to Iona and they get a win on the road. Jack Castleberry, his first career coaching win. How about that? Props to Joel Emanuel, finished with a career high of 24 points and 11 rebounds. FDU coming off a huge win, and they're coming to Seton Hall and Walsh Gymnasium on Saturday. So Seton Hall is going from a rock fight, grinding game, just, just you know, rip my teeth out, root canal type of a game against St. Peter's, and now they're coming up against high-flying FDU, who has all the momentum in the world. Could be a very, very interesting game at Walsh. We shall see. St. John's. Boy, oh boy. You talk about attention. National media. Rick Patino, The Big Apple. I mean, it was like he was meant to be here. Finally, at 71. This team did not disappoint in their debut. All right? There were issues in the preseason. There were injuries in the preseason, especially with Jordan Dingle. Joel Soriano sat out. The loss against Division II pace. Guess what? I said, hey, there's cause for concern, but I also said, slow down. That game doesn't count. This one counted. And when the lights were on at Carneseca and the ball was tipped, St. John's played a Rick Patino style of basketball. They hit threes. They shot threes. They hit threes. They defended the three. They got out in transition. I know it was Stony Brook. This team's going to be, this team's going to be a solid team for one night. This is exactly what St. John's needed. All right. I was impressed. You talk about impressive Chris Ledlam. All right. I had seen him play at Harvard. I mean, this is a man. This front court of Joel Soriano and Chris Ledlam is going to be dynamite. Double doubles for both of them. 16 and 14 for Ledlam and 22 and 11 for Mr. Double Double himself, Joel Soriano, who, oh, by the way, I mean, did he look trim? Did he look muscular? Did he look chiseled? I mean, he is in great shape, Joel Soriano. Uh, hats off to you. Their front court's going to be fine. Their back court is going to be super. Dennis Jenkins is comfortable. He knows Rick Pitino from playing for him at Iona. 17 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, six turnovers. That's right, six turnovers. All right, you got to clean that up, Dennis. But we saw what he's capable of doing. He is the facilitator who also knows how to shoot the ball and take his shots when they come. And the fourth big player on this team, we saw a glimpse of what he can do. He's still clearly not healthy in 100%. But Jordan Dingle showed you why he was the Ivy League player of the year, why he led the Ivy League in scoring at Penn. 
only played 20 minutes. He he did what he sh- needed to do. He showed flashes. He got in there. It'll take him a couple of weeks to get his legs under him. He's going to be fine. Johnny's looked real good. They check all the boxes. Now they have six days to prepare for Michigan on Monday in their first game at the Garden. That is going to be some atmosphere. Now, it's not a great Michigan team. Hunter Dickinson has moved on. It's still very good. It's Jawan Howard. It's Rick Pitino. Big time, early season matchup between two Power 5 teams. Yes, I said Power 5. Because the Big East, in for my money, is if they're not the first best conference in the country, they're the second best. Me, I'm putting it at number one. All right. So St. John's, great debut. Iona, another team I want to talk about. The preseason favorites in the Colonial Athletic Conference is Charleston. A team that went to the NCAA tournament last year. We wanted to see what Iona could do with 11 new players. They only had one returning player in seven-footer Osborne Shima. They had a new coach trying to gel all these players in three to four months, and they nearly pulled off one of the biggest upsets outside of James Madison and Michigan State. They put themselves in position to win. Weza Panzo got a, got a pretty good look at a three. The ball hit the rim, nearly went in, Iona would have won the game. Instead, they lost 71-69. I'm not into moral victories, but man, oh, man, oh, man, this team showed me a lot, all right? They have a lot of transfers. They have a lot of graduate seniors, five and all, all right? Players coming from all over. The ones in particular that really stood out, I had went to a practice back in August, and two guys who I, who I circled, who I said, they're going to be the keys to this team. Number one, the Harvard transfer, the point guard, Edan Tritu. He was the second leading scorer for Harvard last year behind Chris Ledlam. Thick, solid, veteran, experienced, skilled point guard. All right? He had 17 points. The guy who I think is going to lead Iona in scoring this year was a Juco All-American last year, just a freak of an athlete, about 6'4", 6'5", plays like he's 6'9". I love the motor on his this kid. Greg Gordon is just relentless, and he showed what he can do in this game. 18 points, 14 rebounds. Those are the guys to keep an eye on for Iona this year. Gordon and Tritu. They have other players who are going to have their moments, and Panzo's one of them because that guy can shoot the lights out. But another guy to keep your eye on is a freshman who was killing it in the preseason, Gene Gurin, had eight points in his debut. He is going to be in that rotation. He's going to be one of the first or second players off the bench. He's going to get a lot of minutes, and he's only going to get better. Friday night, Iona's home opener, big-time Mid-major battle, Heinz Athletic Center, one of the best on-campus small arenas in the country, is going to be rocking. Iona, the pre- one of the preseason favorites in the MAC behind Ryder, 
and Sacred Heart, the preseason favorite in the Northeast Conference. So many storylines in this one, all right? Sacred Heart uh, did what they had to do. They won their opening game, had a laugher against Sarah Lawrence. Nico Gallette, the preseason player of the year in the Northeast Conference, has been injured. Uh, Anthony Latina told me he was not going to be in the starting lineup. He wasn't. All he did was lead the team in scoring, coming off the bench, 24 points a game, or 24 points in that game. This team, like Iona, has a lot of veteran players. Between Iona and Sacred Heart, you have eight graduate seniors and five seniors. That's 13 players who are 22, 23, 24 years old. They're men. This is Anthony Latina's best team ever. They have the Division Three Player of the Year from Middlebury, Alex Sobel, six foot eight, in his Sacred Heart debut, put in 12 points and 10 rebounds. And another kid who came from D2 Westchester is a St. Anthony kid. Remember the name if you follow Sacred Heart. Kyle McGee, Jersey City, as Jersey as a Jersey kid can get, played his first two years at St. Anthony, would have finished his career there, but the school closed, had to go elsewhere. This kid's a gamer, brings high energy, high motor, excellent defensive player. This is going to be an interesting game. Iona should win. They have dudes, they have players, and they have a team that can win in the MAC. They're at home. But would it shock me if, look, Sacred Heart's the underdog. Would it shock me if Sacred Heart went in there and beat Iona? It would not shock me. All right. You put this game on a neutral court in November. And honestly, it might be a toss up. It might be Iona favored by one or two points in a neutral court. They're not that far off. Both have experienced players. Both have excellent coaches in Tobin Anderson and Anthony Latina. And oh, by the way, they played each other twice last year. They're playing each other in the Northeast Conference. They're playing each other this year in a non-conference matchup. And next year, in case you forgot, Sacred Heart is going to the MAC, where they will be playing Iona twice next year. A lot of storylines here. 7 o'clock, tip-off at Heinz, one of the great small venues in college basketball. That is a game to watch if you can get it. ESPN Plus, Friday night. All right? That'll do it, folks. What a first couple of days of college basketball here in the tri-state. And oh, by the way, shout out to, to Fordham. All right, they needed overtime. Keith Ergo at Rose Thrill, his team pulled it out against a very game Wagner team who pushed Fordham to the limit in their own building. Look out for Donald Copeland and Wagner in the Northeast Conference. We'll be talking more about Fordham and Wagner in future episodes. Hey, just wanted before I go, thanks to our sponsor, North Jersey Vipers Softball. If you or your daughter or someone you know are looking to play high-level softball for an elite club team, 
visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Hey, thank you to our sponsor. Thank you for downloading and listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. The season is underway. Can't wait for the next episode. Enjoy the games, everyone. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word. The Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long.